0: It is excellent to be with you guys this morning um, to study God's Word together, to worship Christ risen together. Uh, It's always a privilege to stand in this pulpit to preach God's Word. It's a privilege to work with student ministry and families um, week in and week out. And I'm reminded again this morning, and actually as I'm reflecting and thinking through how God has blessed my heart this morning um, with conversations, as many of you came up to pray with me this morning, and many of you said really nice, encouraging things to me. A few of you said, well, I just told your wife, but I think I'm going to tell you too, and said really nice things. It's, it's a joy to be with you guys um, this morning. It's a privilege to serve with you. Um, it's a privilege to serve you and your families, and especially to serve Christ with you. Our scripture this morning is from Philippians I think that's appropriate. As Paul writes to the Philippians, he tells them that he's joyful to write to them. He's joyful when he thinks of them. He's joyful when he remembers them. He thinks in verse 3 of chapter 1, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that truly is how I feel, as I as I teach this morning, as I stand with you this morning. Um, it is my joy um, because of our partnership in the gospel of Christ. And so that's encouraging to me. I wanted to reflect on that to you. But also, you know, this letter is called the this this, this letter to the Philippians is it's called by some the joy letter. Um, as Paul writes of his joy in his partnership with them, um, it is not all it is not all joy. Um, he goes through and he points out things um, because as the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ, we are the bride of Christ, um, but we are also dealing with our sinfulness and we're dealing with our brokenness and so things are not perfect. This morning um, we'll come kind of full circle so I may skip through the beginning part and then come back at the end to make this connection that when Paul is writing to them, he's encouraging them with what many call the Christ hymn. Um, Kevin Roberts this morning, when I was talking with him, said this is his favorite passage of Scripture. Um, Lots of people would say that this is among their favorite passages of Scripture, if not their favorite passage of Scripture. We see Christ lifted up. There are many that believe that, that this hymn, this Christ hymn, is possibly a hymn that was being sung in the day, and Paul just took and inserted it into his letter to make a specific point. Some think that this was original to Paul. Um, structurally, they're not real sure. Um, there's no definite answer, but certainly this is God's Word and inspired by God and placed here for this purpose. And Paul even placed it here in this purpose to encourage the believers in this way. So I want to read Philippians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 5. I want to read through this passage and pray together. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we pray this morning that you would bless the reading of your word. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching and teaching of your word. Father, and I pray that you would bring conviction to our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that you would bring heart change to our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that we recognize that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I pray that this morning would be a morning in which all that are gathered here would bow the knee and use the tongue to confess and submit to you as our Lord. And as our Savior. Father, I pray that you would be lifted high. Christ would be exalted this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning will be somewhat the the passage the text leads us through to make a few points. And a couple of points that actually follow in line with our Sunday School material. Um, it wasn't necessarily planned that way, but as I began to continue to pray and read and study, um, I felt the Lord lead me to this passage, and I want to, to teach it and preach it as plainly as possible. Um, and so through that, what we'll find is our first point is Jesus is God. Jesus is God. If you remember our Sunday school lesson last week, I think it was the divinity of Christ. Um, how Jesus himself was God. He wasn't just like God. He wasn't subservient or under God, that he himself is God. These 13 weeks of our Sunday School lessons are about the Trinity um, and how God is the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Spirit all in one. And I don't think that within 13 weeks we could grasp that or understand that Fully, and I don't even know that in our lifetimes we could grasp and understand how God can be three in one. But yet we need to approach Scripture um, as it teaches us and we need to follow and submit to it. And this is what the Scripture tells us, that Jesus is God. Seeing in there in verse 5, Paul begins with, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." So he exhorts us and says, "...understand this, okay, have this mind among yourselves." which is yours in Christ Jesus. It is not what Christ Jesus has that we do not possess, but it is what is ours because of Christ Jesus. What we preach and talk about this morning is the promise of God to us. It is the promise of God that we can have humility in this mindset, and this unity that Paul is talking about among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. We see clearly here that he was in the form of God. He was God. Um, some of your scriptures probably say he was in the very nature of God. The scripture tells us very clearly and plainly, That Jesus is God. He was God and is God. Notice the language there. It says that he eternally existed as God. He was in the form of God. He didn't become God in this moment. There wasn't a moment in eternity when Jesus all of a sudden now got to the status where he was God. The scripture tells us that Jesus is God. He eternally existed as God. There's a bunch of passages, there's four passages specifically that theologians and, and Bible teachers tell us. They call the Christological passages. Um, I have these listed here for you. This is one of those. Another passage is the first chapter of Hebrews, um, the first chapter of John, and Colossians 1, 15 through 20. We see where the Bible teaches us that Jesus is God, Jesus was God. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was God. and the word excuse, me, the word was, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, there was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, the Hebrews passage that we've read um, many times in the last few months as we studied through Hebrews, 1 one through 5, we wanted to have that listed for you so you could refer back as you're studying throughout the week. Um, but also Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So the scripture tells us that even in the beginning of creation, that Jesus himself was the agent of creation. We go back to Genesis chapter one and we see in the text that it says that God said, Let us make man in our image. And so we see the plural there and the we see the picture there of the Trinity, how God is one, but yet God is is distinct in Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the Scripture tells us that Jesus was there in the beginning. Um, Jesus didn't just become God at some point in time, but for all of eternity, Jesus is God. The Bible claims it and the Bible teaches it. This was probably familiar to some of you who were here last week and studied your Sunday school lesson together. Um, Jesus himself claims it also. It wasn't just that the Bible claims it, but Jesus himself claims it. John eight fifty four 54 um, through 58 says this, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If, if I were to say to you that I did not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I know Him and I keep His word. And this is where Jesus begins to um, get in trouble with the Jews. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 and you think you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This statement of I am, we can look back and you see in In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses was with God, Moses standing before the burning bush, and God said, Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, Let my people go. um, And I will deliver my people from captivity. And I will deliver my people from that slavery. Um, I want you to go and be obedient to what I've called you to do. And so then um, Abraham, um, excuse me, then Moses says, But God, when I go, who shall I say sent me? Who, who do I say that you are? Who would I say sent me? So they, so they know that I have some sort of authority and I've been sent with authority. And God says to him, tell him, I am sent you. And so throughout Jewish history, they knew I am as the name of God. And so for Jesus to claim that before Abraham was, I am was a very strong statement. We can see how strong the statement is by the very next verse. The scripture says that they they picked up stones to throw at him. When they heard what Jesus said, when they heard that Jesus himself claimed to be God, when he put himself equal with God and said that he claimed to be God, then it made the Jews very angry and they wanted to kill him in that place. Now, for many of us, you think, now, why are we going through and stating that point? Why did we spend an entire Sunday school lesson dealing with this? And why have we spent the first five, ten minutes this morning talking about that? It's because um, there are many that believe that that's heresy. There are many outside of the Christian faith that say, no, no, no. Nobody else can be God. Jesus cannot be God. That this would be heresy, that this would not be okay. But I want you to see, and what they'll say instead, was that, you know, Jesus wasn't God, but he was a good guy. I mean, he was a good teacher. But I want you to see clearly the scripture does not leave room for Jesus just to be a good teacher. Because a good teacher that wasn't God would never claim to be God. A good teacher that was not divine and God himself would not say that he was God in that way. So Jesus doesn't leave there to be room there um, of him just being a good teacher. The scripture attests to he being God and always being God. And Jesus himself attests to that. I don't want to read through, but in... um... John six thirty five eight twelve ten one 35, 8, 10, 11, 11 14, 6, and 15, 1. You see when Jesus continues to make these I Am statements and claims that He Himself is God. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, and you see when Jesus makes these statements, he follows up with these statements um, many times, saying, "Believe in me, and you 'll live. I 've come to do the father 's work, and if you believe in me, then you 'll live and have eternal life. So Jesus claims to be God. The, Jesus is God, the Bible claims it. Jesus himself claims it. The next thing we see here in this text is that Jesus is human. Jesus is human. Verse six again, who though he was in the form of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, or the scripture, your scripture may say, he made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. See the scripture here that Jesus is human. In the first part we saw that he was in the form of Or nature God he always existed in the form or nature God he always was God but we see here in the scripture that there was a point in time where it says that Jesus emptied himself he submitted himself in a way that this is what he did he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant so he always was in the form of God but now he's taken on the form of a servant was in the form of God did not consider equality with God, but now he has emptied himself. He's taken the form of a servant on um, being born in the likeness of men. So he took on the form or nature of a servant. He put this on. We understand this as the incarnation. We understand this at Christmas time. We understand this as the royal king who became a baby. But here's what I want you to see and clarify with this. Um, because sometimes there's a misunderstanding here, especially with this language that says that he emptied himself. The scripture does not build this picture. Okay? It does not build this picture that God had a, that Jesus had a coat on that he was God, and he decided to unbutton his coat and take it off and no longer be God. Under, look at the, here's what it says. This is how he emptied himself. This is how he made himself nothing. This is how Jesus humbled himself to his Father's will, by taking the form of a servant. So the Scripture doesn't tell us that Jesus took off his Godhood. The Scripture actually says that Jesus put on his humanity, that Jesus put on flesh. The Scripture doesn't say he emptied himself of being God, but instead it says that he put on flesh. And the Scripture teaches us that Jesus remained to be God, and to this day, Jesus is God. To this day, we see it this way. And for a moment, we see, we see Jesus in a moment being 33 years. We see Jesus walking on this earth as a human experience, experiencing hardships, experiencing tiredness, um, needing food and nourishment, needing those physical things. God, the creator of the universe, Jesus, the creator of the universe, for a moment put on flesh and walked among us and experienced that creation that he created. He served that creation and um, was in that creation and needed nourishment and needed those things for life. But I want you to see um, the end of this picture and we'll come back. Okay, Revelation 1, 14 through 16. This is Jesus Christ in his second return. Jesus Christ sits on the throne today, and this is what Revelation tells us. Revelation 1, 14, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Then down in verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Look again in Revelation 19, verse 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And then in verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. So we see Jesus for a moment for 33 years. We see him as a baby. And we see that the flesh that he's put on um, has not made him less than God. Has not, he has not ceased to be God. But in that moment when he put on flesh, he got tired he dealt with anguish. He dealt with things that were only human in nature. The scripture tells us that he was tempted in every way as we were, yet was without sin. Yet was without sin, being, being found in human form or appearance. Okay, here's what, um, is, here's what creates trouble. Okay, writers have said that this is the scandal of the gospel, that God put on flesh. Not only that God put on flesh, I want you to see um, how he submitted himself in this way. He whose glory was known throughout the earth wasn't even recognizable by those who were around him. Okay, the scripture tells us that the glory of God is known to the ends of the earth. Romans 1, 18, 19, and 20 tells us that all men are without excuse because you can see the glory of God written in the heavens. You can see the glory of God in creation. Psalm 19 tells us how God displays His glory to the ends of the earth, from in the heavens and the earth. We see the glory of God displayed in everything. We see it displayed as we look um, small into microscopes, and we see that in biology and in anatomy. We see the glory of God as we go to the mountains, as we go to the oceans, as we, as we look outside and see trees and grass, as we look and see babies, and we see, we see the glory of God. And Jesus, the agent of creation, Jesus, the creator, for a moment, his, his divine nature, his glory goes to the ends of the earth. And yet the scripture says when he was here, that his glory wasn't noticed. Matthew 13 um, 57, let's see. Matthew 13, if you want to turn with me quickly there, look in Matthew 13. Okay, Matthew 13, starting in 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue that they were astonished and said, "Where did these men get their? Wisdom, where did this man, excuse me, get their, get his this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us?" Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. The glory of God displayed from the ends of the earth. And yet Jesus, put on flesh, came to this earth, and he was not recognized among his creation. Can you imagine the humility of that? Can you imagine um, how difficult that would be for you and I? If we were, I tried to come up with some illustration that I thought would clearly display this. Something along the sorts. If you build up a business and become CEO of a multi-million dollar business. And then you got fired and went and applied for minimum wage. But yet that illustration does not show um, the fullness of this. You see, Jesus was in the highest place in the highest place in heavens, and everything is under his foot, and everything is his footstool, all of creation. And yet what Jesus did was obedient um, and submissive to coming to this earth, becoming a baby, um, and submitting himself to even more than just flesh. But let's look and see where the scripture leads us to now. But he emptied himself, verse 7, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Being found in human form, or your scripture may say appearance. Being found in human form or appearance. But see, that was the form that he was given. That was the form that he put on himself. And that's what he was seen by us. And you see, they say, how is this normal man? We know his brothers. Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't he Mary's son? We know his brothers. His sisters are with us. How does this man have this knowledge? Um, how, what is going on here? Because in his form... His glory did not show. The glory of God was not revealed in his form and in his humanity and in his physical being. They did not see his glory. But he took the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and he found himself, excuse me, and being found in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is the scandal of the cross. That not only God Himself took on flesh and came to this earth, but He came and submitted Himself to that, and then He submitted Himself to death, and submitted Himself to death on a cross. Moses asked to see God's face, and God's reply to him in Exodus 33 was You can't even see my face, you can't look on me and live. We can't even look on the glory of God and live because of God's holiness, because of His perfectness, and because of our sinfulness. And the contrast there, we cannot even look on God and live. And yet, Jesus came to this earth and put on flesh and lived for 33 years, submitted Himself to that and submitted Himself to death and even death on a cross. So God, whose glory is shown to the ends of the earth, Moses, who asked to see God's face and God says, you can't see me and live. That God himself came to earth to be obedient to death and even death on a cross. So this question should come. Obedient? Obedient to who? Obedient to what? Okay, let's let's back up just a little bit, okay? He humbled himself... By becoming obedient. Excuse me. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. The next point is that Jesus is Savior. It's in verse 8. Jesus is Savior. He humbled himself. No one took his life. I want you to see this very clearly. It wasn't that this came by accident. It wasn't that this came without his knowledge, without his submission to that. But it actually says, the scripture says, that he humbled himself. No one took his life but he gave it and what did he humble himself to or what to becoming obedient obedient to whom or to what his father turn with me to John 6:38 through 40 turn with me to John chapter 6 so with this question what was Jesus obedient to who was Jesus obedient to the answer is to his father let's read this in 6:38 Over 30 times we see in the Gospel of John alone that Jesus says that he has come to do the will of his Father. That he is submitting to the will of the Father. That he is not doing his own, but instead he is doing what his Father is telling him to do. So when Jesus became obedient, he was obedient to the Father. When he became obedient to death and death on the cross, he was not obedient to the soldiers. He was not obedient to... Um, to the laws around him. He was being obedient to the soldiers. He was obedient to the laws around him. He was obedient to the trials and the system of justice they had in the time. But what Jesus was ultimately submitting to was the will of his Father. It was the will of God that Jesus was submitting to. Jesus is Savior. He humbled himself. No one took his life. He became obedient to his Father. And then the last point here... Is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Look in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth. And under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God. The Father. You see, Jesus is God. Jesus always was God. And in the incarnation and in the great condescension, in this moment, Jesus remained God, but he put on flesh and Jesus became human. And the scripture also tells us that Jesus is Savior. He became obedient and submitted himself to a human body in the form of humanity but not just the form of humanity and submitted himself to that, but he submitted himself to death and death on a cross because it, because it was the will of God, it was the will of the Father. Jesus he, himself is our mediator. We've been studying through Romans, and we've seen that for eight or ten chapters now, that Jesus is our mediator. He is our high priest. In order to be a mediator, Jesus had to had to be able to mediate between the two, and the two was divinity and humanity. It was God and people, and the scripture tells us that Jesus himself was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And Jesus himself was God, and he himself was tempted in every way and became human for us, but yet he was without sin. And the scripture tells us that Jesus was the mediator between us and God. God um, has a need. Does that scare you a little? Maybe that's not the best way to say that. It's not that God has a need, but God has demands. Okay, And his demands must be met. And the scripture tells us, in Sermon on the Mount, it tells us that God's desire... And God's need, God's demand, not that He needs anything, but what He demands and needs from us is perfection. God's demand is perfection. And Jesus Christ sufficed that need and mediated between the Father and us. And we have a need. And our need is forgiveness, our need is holiness. And Jesus, as the great mediator, came between and He gave God the perfection. That God demanded out of us, and He gave us the holiness. He gave us the perfection. He gave us the righteousness that we need in order to be made right. With God, and this is what Jesus did on the cross. But I don't want you to think that this is what Jesus only did on the cross. Let's look back to to Hebrews 7:25. Many of you re, will remember this from studying through a couple of weeks ago. Hebrews 7:25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near through him, or draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus didn't just come to the earth to be a servant 2,000 years ago. But Jesus continually lives as a servant. He continually lives making intercession for us. Jesus, whose eyes are like a flaming fire. Jesus, who has a has a sword coming from his mouth, Jesus who is victorious, Jesus who is King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus who is given the name that that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus himself, Jesus himself lives to make intercession for us. He continually intercedes and prays for us on our behalf. Jesus is Lord. And even in that position in the Lord, he intercedes on our behalf. Next point. He reigns in the highest position. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus is at the highest position. His name is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Jesus has unmatched power. Jesus has unmatched power that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everyone on earth, all of creation, all of creation calls out and testifies to God and to his divine nature. All of creation does that and the scripture tells us that we will either bow to Jesus here and now or one day all will bow. We will bow to him now with salvation or we will bow to him in future as we are condemned in condemnation. And he is worthy of all praise and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is praised. He is bowed to and praised in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The angels praise his name. Creation praises his name. And we praise his name. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's either now or it's later. This is leading us through the Christ hymn that Jesus is God, that Jesus is human. That Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord. And for many of us this morning, we need to hear the words of Scripture and the plain words of Scripture that we see in John chapter 6. That We see in John chapter 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of God who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. And he refers there to his resurrection. And in verse 40, this is what many of us need to hear today. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up. On the last day, the scripture tells us that everyone who looks on to the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. We need to hear the truth of scripture this morning that Jesus is God, that Jesus is human, that Jesus is the Savior, and Jesus is Lord. And we need to understand Jesus as Savior and Lord this morning and understand that Jesus Himself um, tells us that. The will of the Father is this, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. There may be some of you today that are questioning whether or not you have eternal life. Understand Scripture. The Scripture tells us that everyone who believes in Him will be saved. For God so loves the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life in Christ Jesus And then for those of us who are believers and do have faith in Christ and real saving faith in Christ, then we need to look to see um, a larger picture of the Scripture. I said we would come back through and see something. And we who are believers... And who are a part of the church and a part of the body of Christ. I want you to be reminded to what I began and said. That Paul is writing this to the Philippian people. To the church of Philippi. And he says, you are my joy. And I thank God when I remember you. And then as he leads through and they get to um, verse 12. He begins to share and says, yes, I'm in jail right now. I'm in chains, but I still find joy in you. And then he begins to share how he is suffering, and that they will suffer. And then in verse 27, he says this, he begins to make an, an admonition to them. He begins to make a commandment to them. And this is the point of the Christ hymn. This is the point of why he lifted Christ high and lifted up and talked of Christ's humility and talk of Christ's work. This is the point and why he's leading this in. Um, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. And you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul is asking the Philippians to stand firm. He said, I hope that when I come and see you, and when I hear of you, that this is what I hear. That you are standing firm in the gospel. That you are standing firm in the gospel. And how are they standing firm? This you is actually plural. And he's speaking to the church. So I'd like to speak to the church for a moment. My prayer and my hope and the writer, Paul writes here, that that we will be found standing firm. That we together will be standing firm in what? In one spirit. And that we will be found standing firm in one mind. Striving side by side the faith. You see this picture here? As he's talking about the church, he says there are many in the church, there are lots of you, and you guys will struggle and suffer for the sake of the gospel, but here's what I hope we find. Here's what I pray that we find, that you will walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is our take home, okay? This is our application, that seeing the divinity of Christ, seeing how the divine Christ how God made himself man, seeing how God submitted himself to death and death on a cross to pay for your sins and my sins for all who believe, seeing that he is lifted high as Lord and Savior, this is the point of this, that we will stand firm in that, in one spirit and in one mind, striving side by side for the faith Of the gospel, and if you're wanting to fill in blanks here, the word that I wrote in this blank here is steadfastness comes through unity. This standing firm, this standing steadfastness, this comes through unity. One spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I am encouraged when I see Kingsville Baptist Church standing in one spirit and in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now let's go down to chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy of being of the same mind. Do you hear this reflection coming back again? Being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being... In full accord, and some translations say adopting in full accord, and adopting of the same mind. It's not that it's just automatic. We don't just automatically have the same mind. We don't just automatically have the same love, and automatically have the same. But there's a there's a picture here that because of Christ in us, that we are able to adopt the same mind. We're able to come together and say we have one common goal, and that is for the glory of God to the nations and to our communities. That is for the glory of God globally to the ends of the earth and locally in our churches, in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, um, in our workplaces. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So steadfastness comes through unity. And this unity comes through humility and selflessness. So the steadfastness comes through humility... And um, excuse me, through unity, and this unity comes through humility and selflessness. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look to, not to his only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And this is where he picks up and says this: "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. In Christ Jesus. So if you, as you read the scripture and read this Christ hymn, as you read Philippians 5, excuse me, Philippians 2, 5 through eleven, be encouraged by the gospel, be encouraged by what you see here, but understand this: that Paul is calling the church to unity. He's calling the church to steadfastness. And that steadfastness found in unity. And this unity In selflessness and in humility. And then he says, let me give you the greatest picture of humility that you've ever seen. The greatest picture of humility that God, who is highly exalted and at the top, and the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the agent of creation, came and made himself a part of creation. And creation did not even notice him. And creation did not even recognize Him. And not only did He make Himself a part of creation there, He submitted Himself to death. And not only death, but death on a cross. And He suffered and died on that cross And then God highly exalted him to the highest place, to the name that is above every name. So at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And Hebrews 7.25 even tells us that Jesus continually lives to make intercession for us. This is the picture of humility that Paul is telling the church of Philippi. This is the picture of humility that we, as the modern church, need to understand and need to see. That we look and see the humility of Christ. The humility of Christ will bring us unity. And that unity that we are brought through the humility of Christ and seeing that will bring us steadfastness. And we, as the church, will be able to walk together step in step. That we will walk together with the same mind, with the same spirit, side by side for the gospel. We will be, verse 2, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. You see, what happens here in this pulpit, it's not about Bart Walker. What happens here in this pulpit this morning, it's not about... Steve Mears. What happens on the stage is not about Sean Martin or the band that play instruments or the choir. What happens in your marriage, it's not about your marriage. Your family, it's not about you. Kingsville Baptist Church, it's not about us. Your Sunday school class, it's not about your teacher, it's not about you as members. Our jobs They're not about us. Our friends, it's not about us. The scripture tells us to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, follow Him. And if we look not only to our own interests as a church, if we look not only to our own interests as a family, if you look not only to our own interests as we lead ministries, as we lead families, And we're part of our community. Steadfastness comes from unity. Unity comes from humility and selflessness. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to offer an invitation um, to all here. To believers and unbelievers. To unbelievers, I invite you to come, respond to Christ, and confess that you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. Confess, call on the name of the Lord. The scripture says... That whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And to you who are believers, I want to ask you to pray. To pray where you're at. To come pray at the altar. If you see someone in your Sunday school class that's praying at the altar, I want to ask you to come and pray with them. If you see someone that you know praying as they're kneeling, I want you to go to those people and pray for them. And understand that our class is not about us. This church... It's not about us. What happens here is not about us. It's about the glory of God. The glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray.